Last Saturday, we moved into our home, uh, but we didn't stay there. Uh, Saturday nights are not good nights for me to endure great change. But um, we, we went back Sunday. So Sunday night, we stayed um, in our home. And I'm, I'm always just give cause to remark about when we move. We've moved a lot. Some of you have moved more than us. And... How, how much of a starting over moving is. Um, I've been made like a man, but all week I've been pH balanced like a woman uh, because I can't find my deodorant. I can't. I, last, last night I had to go to my parents' house to pick something up, and I called my wife and said, I'm just going to shower here uh, because there's a shower at that house. We have a clawfoot bathtub and a shower that's half-tiled. Um, we didn't have curtains on the window a door on the bathroom. So when I get up in the morning, we have a door now. Uh, but, you know, I was caught between a rock and a hard place of do I traumatize my daughter when she walks out of her bedroom or do the people who pass by on the way to work? It was bad. But I'll say that. I say all that to s- because uh, we had a great Thanksgiving there. And 17 people came. Um, and there were boxes, and there was junk, and they had to go upstairs to use the restroom. And uh, the, the home, in some ways, was in disarray. But it's times like that that you realize um, how often we allow little details to get in the way of holidays that God's given us. You know, this is what you need for Thanksgiving. You need food and chairs. That's it. It's fellowship over a meal. And, and so in a really special way, we got reminded of that on Thanksgiving, that um, people gathering together to give thanks for the Lord. That's what Thanksgiving's about. And, and how often, just imagine, how often in your life have details stopped you from enjoying a holiday from God? You know, when really, at the very essence, you needed so little you know, the house wasn't clean, or the hair wasn't right, or you're a little tired, or this or that. And really, the Lord, the Lord just said, I just wanted people to get together and give thanks, or something. Uh, we're going to look at Paul this morning, and uh, in the 20th chapter, which is page 773, if you're not there already. Uh, the 20th chapter is, is, is going to be an odd chapter to end a sermon series on. Uh, so I, I'd be lying to you. I do need to confess I've been frustrated all week trying to, um, you know, find the message from the Lord in this. But, um, but and this is what's a little challenging about chapter 20 is uh, the third missionary journey of Paul is for the most part, apart from his time in Ephesus, which we've skipped. We'll save that for some other time of the year. Uh, So Paul goes to Ephesus. He spends two and a half to three years in Ephesus um, ministering. It's wildly successful um, to the point where the only place that he can really preach is in, like, the public stadium. He's, uh, you know, he's that well-known. He actually uh, threatens to undermine the silver industry in Ephesus because nobody's buying the little idols anymore. Um, that's how, imagine, revival like that. That's just tremendous. Um, 
So he's wildly successful in his two and a half to three years in Ephesus. And then he goes on um, a whirlwind missionary tour uh, uh, through the places he's already worked to plant. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, <laughs> Corinth, and uh, other areas as well that we haven't heard about. And they won't even hear about in this text, but you find out in other books like Romans and Corinthians. He does that, and that takes another year and a half of time, and it's encapsulated in three verses here in the 20th chapter. And that's what makes it a little bit challenging, is to talk about the third missionary journey, apart from Ephesus, is to spend time in three verses. But uh, I I want us to end here, because in a sense, things are coming full circle for us here. We're ending back... At, in a place where things started. And for Paul and, mission, and the missionary journeys, I do think it's important for us to appreciate the cyclical way that it happened. That Paul, if you want to think of it this way, Paul and Barnabas, there was, if you want to imagine them like us, there was a, a time when they were in the church of Antioch and every Sabbath they cycled through, Right? Every Sabbath, they were leaders and teachers, and, and they sacrificed and gave and invested in that church community. And that's how they were, that, that was their cycle. That's many of your cycle. Your Christian cycle of, uh, of, I don't know, purpose or calling kind of cycles through this building 52 times a year. And that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing until the Spirit said, I want you to do that somewhere else. Take what you're doing here. And I want you to go do it in a new way. Same thing, but go do it afresh somewhere else. And so for Paul and Barnabas, what they were doing on Sunday, it just branched off into a, like a larger cycle, and they went on their first missionary journey. And they went to Cyprus and Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and then they came back to, to Antioch again. And that was the first cycle. And when they came back to Antioch, they were encouraged and they encouraged and blessed. And then the Spirit said, well, go do it again. Just do it to more people. And so this time they went out. But watch what they do. They go out, and as they go out, they visit all the churches that they had started. So um, Barnabas, in fact, goes to Cyprus. So he makes Cyprus his entire ministry. But Paul and Silas now, they go to Iconium, Lystra, Derby. They go to all those places they had already planted. They cycle back through them. And then they go to new places, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. They kind of go through that again. And that's the second big cycle that we read about. And then we're approaching, we're in the third cycle this morning. We've, uh, last week we were in Corinth. From that point he goes back home to Antioch. Then he goes to Ephesus. He gets this, this kind of big green light to go into Ephesus. And then, as we read here, he's going to go back through uh, the churches in Macedonia. Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, and then down into Greece. So... So I just want you to appreciate the cycle here. And let's, let's read it. It's the first three verses of chapter 20. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples. Oh, by the way, the uproar was the riot of the silversmiths. Okay, so Paul is involved in another uproar, and he wins. Um, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed for three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. 
So he goes to Macedonia, and then he goes down to Greece. Corinth is what we can presume. And he winters there in Corinth is what he's doing. He's wintering in Corinth. And he's about to go home for the Passover meal. And what they would do back in the days of antiquity is they would charter a, like a pilgrimage boat. And all the Jews from uh, Greece and Macedonia would climb on it, or Greece, they'd climb on it, and they would go. And what we think is, is he, he found out that like, all the Jews were getting on, and, and there's the sense of he found out that there was a plot afoot for him to have an accident, like on the boat going home. So he said, I'll go by way of land. And, and what he ends up doing is cycling back up to Macedonia, and he, in fact, spends the Passover in Philippi. But I want to call attention to this cycle. How, how Paul has kind of made a life of circling back on places. He starts a work and then he circles back on it. And he circles back on it and he invests again and again and again. It's unclear to us. I think by the end of his missionary journeys, he's been to Corinth three times. He's been to Galatia, the cities in Galatia three or four times, Macedonia three or four times, Ephesus a couple of times. He's done these things on and on and on again. And if we're going to kind of walk away from the sermon series with big ideas in mind, right? We're getting ready to plant a church. And um, if we're going to ask, what are the big ideas? To me, this is one of them. This idea that God calls us out of our church, out of the walls of our church, and that the, the kingdom of God grows and spreads and matures in a cycled way, in a cyclical way, in a way of you start something and then you got to go back and reinvest in it and you got to go back and encourage it and you got to be part of it and share in the life of it. you got to return and return and return. We, we say it this way, you know, when you share the gospel with somebody or you have a, a moment, encounter with somebody where you... Uh, you speak a word about the Lord to them and they don't experience conversion right in front of you, you usually say something like, well, I planted a seed. You say that. Well, you know, that's when we kind of say, well, one man plants and other waters, but the Lord brings the increase. That's the kind of language we use. What we're really saying there is, is that the Christian life is one where we need to circle back on people. We need, it, it's, it's layered encounters. It's it's, it builds upon itself. That's what we're expressing, which is what Paul has done through his life. As he starts a work, then he writes them a letter. Then he revisits them. Then he sends them an envoy with another letter. And the envoy goes, and you find this in all the letters, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and all of them, they have the same kind of pattern of desiring to be there in body. In Colossians he says, Why well, I'm not, with you, not present with you in body, I am present in spirit. And I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. There is this desire to, to be following up. That's how the kingdom is, grows and spreads and matures. It's an implication of the Great Commission. The, the Great Commission says, go make disciples, not, not converts. We don't go make people who make a decision for Christ. We go and we make people who follow Jesus like we follow Jesus. That's what the Great Commission says, is go make people who follow Jesus like you follow Jesus. Go reproduce yourself in someone else. 
Go, go make a follower of Jesus and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded. One of the things he's commanded is to go make disciples. And so we're going to make disciples who will go make disciples who will go make disciples who will go make disciples. You see how it cycles? This is, this is how the kingdom works is that Paul goes out and he makes disciples. And then they go out and they make disciples. So that by the end of the story, we know of Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos and all of these different people. Because he's been going out and making disciples. He hasn't been, he hasn't been remaining in his world in Antioch. He returns to Antioch. But his sense is that it's bigger than this. And I think in our own way, we are about to share in this reproductive cycle. I mean, think about it. In the year of 2012, we will very likely start another congregation that looks like this. Not a clone, but like a child. Like a child that will grow up to be a sibling. It's kind of an odd thought. It makes me think of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, right, he finds a child, 18th, he finds a child lying in her blood, and he raises it up, raises it, and then marries it. It's the same idea of we're going to bear a child, this church will, but it will grow to become a peer. And we're going to be doing that in, in, in this year. I mean, have you grasped that? It makes me tremendously nervous and excited. Because I'm not doing it, we're doing it. Right? And I don't even know, sometimes I see glassy eyes, I don't even know if, if we all appreciate that we're doing it. We're doing it, right? <laughs> but it is in this idea, we're participating in this opportunity to cycle out of the walls of this city. And the, the, one of the things I, I love about this is, I, I, know, I know a lot of you, I know a lot, I know pretty much all of you, but um, I know that there are some of you who love the Lord, um, but you're not the kind of person that's ever going to be Pauline. You're not going to get your gospel preach on. And, and you know what, what's nice about what we're doing? You can share in the Great Commission by joining in this effort. It's, it's like an opportunity to be a missionary through the way you go to church. And I am excited about that. The gospel, it, it's spreading and it's reaching. Even the implication of Acts 1.8, right? And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Reflect this idea that the gospel cycles. It, it's, it cycles and it spirals out of control. It's, it's leaving. Which is what Paul did. That, that, that's the first kind of big lesson I think of, of this sermon series or of the missionary journeys of Paul is we have to go. Here's another one that's special. Um, verse 4. I, I'm going to read some names. I don't, I don't want you to pay attention so much to the names, but to the places they call home. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also. Remember, Timothy was from Derby. 
Antiochus and Trophimus from the province of Asia, which would be like the rest of Galatia and Ephesus. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. Now they just said us. That means now Luke has joined back with them. Right? So they're in Philippi. Luke stayed in Philippi, I believe, for a period of time while they went on the journey. Now he's, Paul's back in Philippi and Luke is now using the us back here. But we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread and five days later joined the others in Troas where we stayed for seven days. We're almost certain that Titus is here from other letters. Titus is almost certainly in this group. So much so are we certain that some people conjecture that Titus and Luke were brothers so that they could fit under the mysterious we and us. Um, So what you have in this circle, think of this, these nine nine or so people, what you have in this circle are are men and, and followers of Christ from almost every church that Paul has planted. How special is that? He's got people from Derby and people from Asia Minor, from like Ephesus. And Titus has just come up from the other letters we know. That Titus has just come up from Corinth, and he's there. And Luke is from is in Philippi, and 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 you know Paul, of course, is there. And you have people from Thessalonica and people from Berea. Like his entire history, the last ten years of his life, is expressed by this luggage that he's traveling with, this people that they're with him. That. I would think the nostalgia that Paul would have. Right now, by the way, Paul, I should explain the rest of the 20th chapter. Um, Well, after what we just read, somebody falls asleep during a sermon and falls out of a window. So don't do that. (laughs) And uh, uh, then in verse 13, Paul is in, uh, he's passing by Ephesus, and he wants so desperately to say goodbye because he knows he's going to go to his death. He knows this. But he doesn't want to go into Ephesus because he won't be able to tear himself away. He says, I didn't want to go there because I was in a rush to get to Jerusalem. And the implication is he would go there and he just wouldn't be able to leave. And so he goes to a town about 15 miles south of Ephesus and has somebody go up and get all the elders and overseers and pastors in Ephesus. And they come down and they meet with him there and they have a little retreat. They kind of meet off site where he meets. And it's here that he says to them, look, Everywhere I go, the Spirit tells me that I have to go to Rome. And that I'm going to get, I'm, there's hardship and persecution, and the end is coming. But I have to go. And when you know that, you, you can almost see that this, this third missionary journey, that Paul is saying goodbye in places. And I just imagine with, when he's with these people, these, these people that are traveling with him, how would he look at them across the dinner table? You know there's times when you get nostalgic at Christmas and you look over at your family and you see how, they've, how they're growing up or, or where they are. And there's Paul and he's eating and he's got his, his friend from Derby and his friend from Lystra and his friend from Ephesus and his, two of the people, Titus and Timothy, he calls his son. And they're at the table. Just this whole journey, how... How tender that must have been. This is a tender moment, I think, for Paul as he's traveling with it. And it, 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 the important thing that, that I think it, it touches on is that this whole effort of sharing the gospel, of the Great Commission, of planning a church, of going out, it's not a program. It's not something we're trying to do. It is people. It's about people. God loves people. 
This is what we're trying to do. The gospel of Jesus Christ that has changed your life, we're trying to allow that to change someone else's life. That's what the Great Commission is. It's not some obligatory kind of thing to take somebody who's disgruntled in the faith and make them go share the gospel poorly. It's saying, do you remember when I entered into your life and I've changed it and you're different and you know that I love you and I care for you? I want you to take that and share that with the world. That's what we're trying to do. And it's about people. I think of the people... Some of you, many of you were older than me. Think of the people that have, you've touched in your life. I love this, not that I like funerals, but it is when a believer passes, there is joy that comes in a funeral when you see the line of people who said, that guy or that lady, she was Christ to me. That, that's... I came to the, I was in her Sunday school class. My grandmother, she taught Sunday school for 50 years. They named the classroom after her when she passed away. Her first grade classroom. You know, I just think of all the children that have passed through that, myself included, uh, to hear about Jesus from her. What we're trying to do when we plant a church is bring the word of Jesus Christ to people. That's what we're trying to do. Is bring Christ to people. There's this tender moment at the end of the 20th chapter. You want to talk about emotional. Paul was a crier. I know he was a crier. So I have something in common with him. He says this in 36. When he had uh, said all this, he kind of told them what he needed to tell them. He knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was a statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. It was a pretty special, special time. I'm eager. I'm eager in, in, when God tells the story of our community. I'm, I'm eager to anticipate how he will say that there are people in different towns and different places who came to know Jesus because of what we're about to do. That's what I'm eager for. I, uh, we, we started, um, we committed to preaching the movement, this sermon series on Paul's missionary journeys. We committed to that in, in the spring. It was in the spring that uh, Pastor Terry and I and the church leadership were wrestling with this idea of a growth model, which many of you have heard a lot about. Uh, the idea of the desire to plant and some of the constraints, the physical constraints of this property that would lead us to consider a growth model. And we said, well, how about we go to the Word? Let's find a section of Scripture that's talking about, that's focused about planting churches and see what it has to say. And there's a few things that, that I have to say before I leave the sermon series or I will pop. So um, they, they're, they've always, they're ever-present in the text, but they're... Rarely illicit, and, and I just want to I, I say them now. Just, we're about to reproduce ourselves. And we're adopting it as a model of growth. We're not planting a church. We're becoming a church that's going to plant churches. 
as a means of growth. Which means our own flesh and blood is going to go and start a new work. And what that is going to do, the first thing, that if, if you don't remember anything coming out of this, I just want you to appreciate that what we are doing is adopting a strategy that multiplies the work of the church. Not in an additive way, but in an exponential way. We're not adding another seat in this room to get an additional person. We are, through our efforts, multiplying the opportunity for people to come into the church. We're duplicating. We're creating two, wor- two rooms of worship. Two opportunities. The opp- there's such a tremendous potential here, if you can stop and just own it, of the opportunity to go from an additive principle. And this is what the Lord does, right? The church was meeting in Jerusalem, and it was growing and growing and growing in an additive sort of way. Persecution hits. It scatters. Now it's multiplying everywhere it is. It's turning the whole world upside down, someone says. Because when you, when you, when you create more rooms to worship, more congregations to worship... They behave in like-minded ways and they grow the kingdom of God together. That's the first thing we're doing. The second thing, and this is a desire in my heart, is whether you stay or whether you go. And you don't need to know that now. And there have been rumors, contrary to rumors, I'm not making a list of who's going and who's staying. All right? Whether you stay or whether you go, it's my desire, and I believe it's God's desire, that it would be an issue of purpose and calling before the Lord. What I mean to say is, the people who are going to the church, the church plant, they are not the only people who are responding to purpose. Everybody should be responding to purpose. If you stay here, you should be responding to purpose. And if you go, you should be responding to purpose. We should all be going. Some of you are going down to the city, and some of you are going to stay here. But it's an, it, at its very essence, it has to be a going of the whole church. Otherwise, what might remain here is passivity, gospel passivity, which is not healthy and not good. But there is a sense... That when, when the going happens, when the great going happens and the group leaves, now there's going to be more empty seats here. And this community here needs to be single-mindedly focused on how do we fill these empty seats with people who don't know Christ. We have to be willing, willing and eager to go into our, our neighborhoods and, and particularly the families that are here, the, the Hocus and Pennsylvania families, and say, we have room and we want friends. That requires a sense of purpose. The people who go, go, that sense of purpose is inherent with the whole idea. The people who stay, go, need to have that in their minds and hearts. And then this is the third thing that I have to say before we leave this series. And this is this. There are some of you who will want to go but need to stay. And there are some of you who want to stay but you have to go. Like the idea, for some of you, the idea is really cool and neat, and you want to go because it's cool and neat, but you're one of our only cool and neat people. And you should stay here, because we need cool and neat. 
Right? Anytime there's a great change in the church, all of the change agents of the church get whipped up into a frenzy. Things are going to change, right? There's people that are like, don't change, don't change, don't change. And then there's the people who are thrilled about change. All the people who are thrilled about change are inherently going to want to jump on the bus and go down to the plant because that's where all the change is happening. What's going to happen if all the change agent in our chemistry goes down there? It's not good for either church. Because up here will be devoid of the oil that makes movement possible. And down there, as soon as they realize, oh, it's just church again. It'll get lame. Right? And then their faith will be true. Some of you are going to want to go in the Lord, and it's not me. The Holy Spirit is going to have to say to you, "I, I hear what you want. You need to hear what I want. And that is hard. And some of you are going to want to stay because you don't like change. And the Lord is going to say, whose will is on the table? You're going to hear those three again and again, I hope. Because I really think that the obstacle towards gospel growth and kingdom planning is us. We're the obstacle. Is our willingness to submit to the Holy Spirit. And it's going to have to do with being obedient to what he's called. I'm going to close with this uh, passage in the 20th chapter, this last idea. Paul has a long farewell speech to the church and to the leaders of the Ephesians. He kind of lays his life out as the example, and then he encourages the pastors of the church of Ephesus to follow the example. And that's kind of what uh, 13 through the end of the chapter is. But he has this passage in, uh, that starts in 20, 22. That is uh, helpful. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I'd like to think that's what we're going to be doing as a church. Is testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't know if that'll be easy. I imagine there's going to be hardship. It may be a complete train wreck from a worldly point of view. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was at a, a state convention meeting, and the, there was a guy who they had tried to plant a church twice, and both times had failed. And so, obviously, I started asking a lot of questions. Um, but you know what? He planted a church twice. Like, God bless him. And he's smarter for it. And they're going to do it again. And, and uh, I don't know what, what hardships are in store for us. I think the hardships are in the details. I think it's like a Thanksgiving dinner in a half-made house with boxes. Right? What is really at the essence here? What are we really trying to do? We're trying to bring, testify of the great God's grace to other people, to love on them and to show them that Jesus Christ who's changed us also loves them. That's what we're trying to do. Not that that's easy, but it's simple. All the other things are details. 
God's grace has saved us and changed us. The word and the spirit compel us. Absolutely compel us to bring this message to other people. Because it is about people. God died for the earth. Not just this church. The movement of God is an invitation to endure hardship so that you can run the race and win the prize that God has in store for us. And I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, I, am, I am so excited. I don't know how I, how I can explain it. I, I'm, a, uh, I'm just going to be very confessional to you. I'm a vision person, which means... I see, and I don't mean this necessarily in like charismatic way. I see things before that. I see the diamond in the rough. I, that's what I see, the diamond in the rough. I can see what something can be before, before it is. That's, that's how God's made me. I cannot see the bounds on this. That's what I'm telling you. When I imagine what we're about to do, my, I, my mind and my spirit cannot reach around and see the ends of this picture. That's how great this is. I believe that's how just utterly fantastic what we are about to do is. And it's hard, and there'll be failure, but it's good, and it's right, and it follows the pattern of Scripture, and it follows the exhortation of the Holy Word, and of our Holy God, and of Jesus Christ. It is the prize for which the race is wrong.